Welcome to We Built This Life. I'm your host, Jennifer Walker, and this is the podcast that mainly tells stories about entrepreneurs and small business owners and how they built their working lives from the ground up. This is episode 24, which will focus on Jazz Ehrenberg, a community artist and independent muralist in Baltimore City. Thank you so much for listening today. Hi there, and welcome to episode 24. I'm really excited to have Jazz Ehrenberg on the show today. As I mentioned, Jazz is a community artist and independent muralist, and she creates really bright, colorful pieces. You'll hear Jazz talk more about this, but she uses a lot of plants and hands in her work, and she gets the community involved in the final project. So the community may be involved in the design process in the sense that Jazz wants to hear from them about what they want to see in their neighborhood and incorporates that into her design. Or the community members might actually pick up paintbrushes and work with Jazz on physically completing the mural, the final project. So Jazz has painted 25 murals around Baltimore City. And on this episode, we mainly focus on four of her projects. So I just wanted to give a little overview in the beginning here so you have a sense of where we're going in this episode. Jazz's first project was when she was a student at the Maryland Institute College of Art. And this actually was not a mural project. She worked with the homeless population along Falls Way on a different type of project. And this is when she began to focus on public art. Then her first mural was an opportunity she got through muralist Michael Owen. Jazz was part of his Home Artists Residency Program, and her mural is located in Highland Town, and it was completed in 2017. Then more recently, Jazz was a designer in residence for the Neighborhood Design Center, who was partnered with the East Baltimore Midway Association, and with them, Jazz worked on a wayfinding project, meaning that she was focused on creating a visual representation or visual representations of the neighborhood to help people get situated and to navigate their space. So she worked on the logo for the neighborhood and murals on the ground and prominent areas. So she'll explain more about this. And then Jazz will also talk about her work with the Lily Mae Carol Jackson Middle School for Girls, where she was a teacher for five years, and the active citizenship through the arts program that she created. Oh, actually, I'm going to add a fifth project. We also talked about the mural that Jazz was working on at the time. We talked in August. I think it might have been completed by now, but it was a mural that she was working on on her house in Upper Fells Point. So all on the outside of her house, and it's beautiful. So those are the five specific projects that we focused on. And then Jazz is also going to go deeper into explaining how she engages other people as a community artist and how her background as a teacher has been an asset in her work. So how she engages the community has shifted somewhat, like the way she engaged with the community on her first mural is different than how she tries to build that engagement today. So Jazz will talk about that that evolution and that shift. And she gives a really great example of what this community engagement process looks like for her today in her work with the East Baltimore Midway Association. So, and then as in every episode of We Built This Life, Jazz will also talk about successes and challenges, what she wishes she knew when she started her business and her advice for other artists. Thank you so much for listening today. Before we get started, I did want to mention here that, like I did last month, that if you listen to the show and you enjoy it and you ever want to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be amazing. It really helps people find the show and find these stories. It would totally make my day. And it also provides some feedback, right? Because as a podcaster, we don't always get feedback on what we're putting out there and, and what we're doing. And so the reviews really help with that. 
Okay, so let's get into today's episode with Jazz Ehrenberg. Like many kids, Jazz Ehrenberg was drawn to art when she was young, but even as a child, she didn't like to be boxed in. That was something that her kindergarten teacher noticed early on. You know, as early as I could start coloring, I I had my own sketchbook. My parents really saw my interest in it from an early age. I was sort of that kid that refused to color inside the lines in the 90s. So my kindergarten teacher actually spoke to my mom about it. There was a sort of parent-teacher conversation about that. And I think that's when my mom realized that I needed a sketchbook with no with no lines in it, right? So I could just color however I wanted. So for pretty much as long as I can remember, I always had a sketchbook with me. And that was really how I processed the world best. Jazz went on to take all kinds of art classes in high school, from ceramics and painting to dance, which she says gave her a lot of opportunities to grow as an artist. Then when she was 15, she moved to Israel, and for the next eight years, she lived there, and she actually did a year of art school there, but she ended up moving back to Baltimore because she got married, and her spouse lived in the States, and her stepson, who was young at the time, she wanted to be a part of his daily life. So Jazz transferred to the Maryland Institute College of Art, known as MICA, and because she was in her early 20s at the time, she was a little bit of an older student, slightly So that informed her experience at MICA, and it was there that she began to work in the public art space. And then at the very tail end of her college experience, that's when she got her first mural project. So it was kind of around this time that everything started to come together for Jazz. I was 22 going to MICA, so that's definitely a different experience. I didn't live on campus, I didn't experience that campus life, and I was also sort of like at a different stage in my life. So it's not something I wanted, but it definitely shaped some of my experience there. So being a little bit older and being in a in a new sort of environment, the school that I went to beforehand was a lot more dramatic when it came to like critiques and stuff like that. I think like that's the main thing that going to art school gives you is learning how to critique and how to be critiqued which, you know, sounds like a simple thing, but it's really not. It really shapes sort of how you see art and how you talk about art. But yeah, there was definitely a difference. So I transferred to MICA and I started in the printmaking department and a lot of my work tended to be more three-dimensional. So I took a couple courses in sculpture and then I switched my major to sculpture. That let me sort of move into what I knew I wanted to do, which was work sort of in the public space. But I didn't realize how that would pan out for me. Obviously, I'm a painter now, but people that I went to college with would be extremely surprised that I am a painter now because I was I was not in college. It was the class I hated the most. Really? (laughs) Yeah. How funny. So what made you want to work in the public space? When did that interest develop? Traditional art schools, Micah being included, sort of teaches in the direction of making art for a gallery. And I recently, between my junior and senior years, moved across the city to the east side. And I was riding my bike to Micah. And so I went down Falls Way. And so sort of like every day, I was a lot closer to the people experiencing homelessness and that that population in the city. And that really changed my perspective of like, my life is so different, right? I am so privileged to be able to go to college in the first place, let alone a liberal arts school, right? And just seeing that sort of, seeing all all of that privilege compared to what my commute was putting me through, putting me in contact with 
really just changed the way I made art. Like I was like, I can't be doing this for a white box anymore. I really feel called to make work that's about uh, uplifting communities or just teaching people how to connect with communities. So my thesis was really based off building those relationships with people experiencing homelessness and really finding the root of the cause, right? Like not the root of the cause systematically, right? But the root of the cause, like in what effect that has on individual people. We call people homeless, but that's not the only thing they're lacking, right? It's not just shelter that they're lacking. They're lacking a community that fully accepts them. They're lacking the love of a family. So that really like very swiftly <laughs> brought me to pivoting my work so much so that like nobody in my senior thesis class, professors included, was very understanding of like where this was coming from. <laughs> really? You got some pushback? Yeah, it left a lot of people confused, which I can imagine. I mean, you know, reflecting on it now, it's like, I, I mean, I guess, yeah, that was like a big, a big jump. But it just, it felt inauthentic to make work that just exists after seeing that and building relationships with people experiencing homelessness in that way. Did you work with homeless populations at all on public art projects while you were in school? So I did this sort of sign exchange, right? So I would build relationships with them, which takes a long time, right? Like these people are always on guard, you know, always have walls up. And I also had to deal with my privilege, right? And deal with where I was coming from, how I was coming to the situation, the assumptions I had. So a lot of self-education, a lot of reading about why the city is, you know, was in that state, is still in that state when it comes to our unhoused population. So I did this sign exchange with them. So I would write a new sign for them and I would trade it for their, for the sign that they've been holding potentially for a season or maybe even a year. And I would put those signs up on monuments around the city. So really talking about the connection between people that have authority and people that don't and how at the end of the day our monuments are treated like our unhoused population right they're ignored they're not taken care of they just go up and sort of that's it so sort of bringing that connection and juxtaposition together to talk about how we care for people for our city all right great that sounds really interesting like a really great project Okay, so that explains how you got interested in public art. How did you make the shift from sculpture to murals? So right out of college, I actually had a couple of credits left to go. Michael Owen contacted me through social media and was like, hey, I really like um, the work that you're doing, that you've sort of connected it to education and teaching people how to interact with the homeless population and sort of easing the tension that is in that interaction for people. So combining education with public art piece, he was, he was really interested in how that could exist sort of in his world. Mike Lowen's a sort of OG Baltimore muralist. And so he gave me my first opportunity to paint a mural through his home artist residency program. So this was, you know, 2017. And that sort of pushed me into the into the muraling world. I was not ready, again, right out of college, so not a painter yet. So that was like definitely a learning curve. Also, like all the logistics that go into planning a mural that size, it is still to this day my largest one that I've painted. So it was a very, a very big lift for somebody who is just being introduced in, into the industry, into that muraling world. 
But the other part of it was like, I was sort of given, it's in Highland Town. So we partnered with Southeast CDC and Highland Town Main Street to like find walls in that way. So it's on Eastern. And I was sort of given, they were just like, what wall do you want? Which like, it's never worked out that way since I've been doing this now for seven years. (laughs) And it has never been that easy to find a wall. I don't know how this happened. (laughs) But I was sort of given this like opportunity and this authority to decide what was going to be on this wall. And I automatically felt like really uneasy with that sort of power. And I didn't think that I was the right person to completely decide how this neighborhood that I don't live in will be impacted on a daily basis. So I decided to sit in the neighborhood and just like talk to people like on the street. So I sat on South Conkling for like three months for a couple hours each day, different times, just trying to talk to people. And then I sort of asked everybody like a specific question, which was, what does home mean to you? So that's the title of the mural. It's called What is Home? It's a big blue mural on the side of uh, a building on Eastern. And it has quotes about like people's answers to that. So I interviewed people experiencing homelessness all the way to doctors that work at Bayview. So a whole breadth of like what home actually means to people. And if you read the quotes, you'll see that it's never about the house that they live in. So I want to tell you more about this mural in Highland Town in Baltimore, which is Highland Town is like slightly to the north of Canton and just to the east of Patterson Park in Baltimore. And the mural that Jazz worked on, it's a big blue mural. And the cinder block wall that it's on is not straight. You know, I I think of the mural as being in two sections when I look at it. The left part is on this kind of curved wall while the right part is curved too, but in a different direction, and its edges are cut out like steps. So it has those kind of levels all along the right side. And it's almost like a smaller piece of wall in front of the whole structure, almost like a building block that's been placed in front of it. So if you can kind of imagine that, some curves, some step type lines, and then that little block piece in the front. So as Jess said, there are quotes on this wall that answer the question, what is home? And so on the left side of the mural, it says that. What is home in big letters? And there's a birdhouse with an oriole bird on top. The words freedom, acceptance, and peace, and home is love are on the borders of that first section. And then there's clouds scattered throughout the piece. And then the quotes that are around the mural. I'm just going to give you a couple examples. One of them says, family is everything. We fled domestic violence and have found peace here. Everything I do is for my children. They are my home. And then here's another one. Home is where we feel safe. So there are several of these across the mural, these quotes. And I I wanted to just talk about this because I think it's really interesting to look back on these first projects and how people got their start. And, And from here, Jazz is going to explain her process, how she actually got this mural off the ground. So, you know, things that are easy for me now, like estimating how much paint I'm going to have to buy, estimating how long I'm going to need to rent aerial equipment for, like things like that were all brand new, even like words for me for my first mural. So just learning that all of these pieces do come into play and then learning how to fit them in to a schedule that works for everybody. So estimating paint, doing aerial equipment, figuring out a design, right? That design process, it was slightly with Highland Town Main Street, slightly with the building owner, and then also getting feedback from Michael throughout this process about what makes a good design, right? Like I'd never 
designed on a flat surface for a public space. So that was really, really challenging. So, so things that like I know now, like, okay, this wall is brick, it's 10 feet tall, I'm not going to need a lift, but it's going to need to be primed maybe even twice, right? I know these things now, <laughs> but, but figuring out like how to paint a whole cinder block wall, like uh, one of the decisions I made was that the background would be sort of transparent. So it's blue, but it's like blue that you can sort of see through. And I thought that would be easier than painting you know, an opaque coat over that whole piece. So just, you know, decisions and learning how to make those decisions and even what decisions have to be made. Like it was like a totally new world for me. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Such a big project to approach the first time coming from like a sculpture background. Did you have nerves at all or did you feel pretty confident going into it? Oh, 100%. I was not ready to paint like actual figures or anything like that. My work has progressed so far. This mural doesn't look like any of my work does. Like that's how <laughs> different it is. It's mostly text because I wasn't ready to commit myself to like painting real real things. Like you'll see there's a couple aspects of it. There's clouds and like a birdhouse and stars and stuff like that, but it's very not as integrated as I like my work to look now. It's definitely, when I look at it, it's definitely like, oh, I was such a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's probably the case with everything you do for the first time. Okay, so what was it about making murals that you really enjoyed, right? Because that's your work now. What, what about this first mural experience made you want to make this your work and your business? Definitely the impact that I had on the community. That's like the number one reason I do what I do. And Seeing how it impacted the Highland Town neighborhood while it was going up and just those interviews that I had with people to make the, you know, the content for the mural, uh, getting those quotes, building those relationships, and then seeing how the community accepted it while it came to a close was really and is still the driving force of why I do what I do. Did you have a lot of people talking to you as you were working on it and making comments, just walking by? Yeah, there are people who would come to us and just be like, hey, I brought you some coffee. <laughs> there was <laughs> there was the, the male lady that we saw every day who was really moved by the piece. And so just having those small interactions about the mural really made it bigger than just painting a wall. So in the years after this mural, Jazz had another career while still painting murals in the summer. This is when she was a teacher, as I mentioned in the intro. And it was around 2020 that more people started to hear about her and inquire about her work. And this led to more opportunities as a community artist and a muralist. She had been doing this work kind of on the side or in addition to her other teaching career. But this is when uh, it started to take off. So Jazz's work and the colors and the images that she uses are shaped by her background. And you can see some of the style in the 25 murals that she has across Baltimore City. So as uh, an Afro-Latina woman, I'm also Jewish by heritage. There's a lot of sort of resilience in making <laughs> a person like me and having sort of in existing in this body and in this time. So I think that really shows up in my work and how I use color. Everything I paint is extremely bright, extremely high contrast. 
I like to to say that the colors I use really like slap you in the face (laughs) (laughs) in a great way, (laughs) in a good way, but they're very bold. And I think that really comes from just my history and my lineage of coming from these lines of ancestors that have had to survive so much. And then I also use a lot of plants and hands in my work. I use a lot of plants because they are an easy way to talk about new life and growth and, you know, sort of those positive things that I want my work to convey. And I've been using a lot of hands lately to sort of signify that sort of ancestral energy that's like brought us to these places or or made these things happen the way they have. So sort of acknowledging that through which things have grown. So after Highland Town, at that point, I was working as a preschool teacher, which I had done through college. And I moved into teaching for Art with a Heart, which I did till 2021. And it was really hard because I had just learned everything on that project. I definitely wasn't ready to like, you know, build a business and like be a muralist. I wasn't even sure if that was the direction I was going to go in. And then starting in 2020, a bunch of opportunities just came my way from word of mouth referrals. And I started realizing that a lot more of my time was being taken up by these projects, which I was excited about, but it was still like only during the summer when I wasn't teaching. So that's sort of how it was compartmentalized for me. And teaching definitely gave me a new perspective on the community work that I was trying to do. And for that first mural in 2017, I hadn't actually learned any way of engaging the community. I was just like, okay, how do I get people to interact with this? I guess I'm just going to go interact with people, right? Instead of like learning how to do workshops or plan events or connect with uh, community groups that are already doing those things, right? So teaching definitely helped me just on like the sort of programming end of what community work, what community organizing looks like. Can you give an example? What type of workshop or event would you hold that would tie into creating a mural? So community engagement, you know, definitely changes depending on the project, depending on how many players, right? Who owns the wall? Like all of that sort of plays into it. But ideally, I like to do sort of community picnic, like public outdoor events with activity stations where I can get people's input in different sort of creative ways. So not just voting, like, do you like design A or design B? Like before even designs are made up, I like to direct a discussion with the community in different ways. And teaching definitely helped me figure out how to make those like activities, right? Instead of just like, I'm going to talk to a crowd of people for 20 minutes about what I want this project to be. Like, I want to know what you want this project to be. Yeah, I love that you were able to draw on your teaching background. So can you talk about another mural that you've done and how you worked with the community through community engagement during the process? Sure, yeah. So last summer, I was a designer in residence for the Neighborhood Design Center, and I was partnered with the East Baltimore Midway neighborhood. They asked me to design a visual identity for the neighborhood as well as a wayfinding project. East Baltimore Midway is like a very in-transition neighborhood, which I know is kind of silly to say in Baltimore because I feel like every neighborhood is like that. (laughs) (laughs) But right by Barclay on Greenmount, so sort of in that central area. And they 
don't have like a logo or didn't have like a logo or anything like that. So they tasked me with designing a logo, which was a lot bigger of an ask than I think they realized. Creating a visual identity for a community that I'm not part of, it was a lot to navigate. (laughs) So figuring out who to talk to, right? Like, I mean, I was partnered with Neighborhood Design Center and the Neighborhood Association, but with my work with Neighborhood Associations, I've found too often that the community association doesn't represent the whole demographic of the neighborhood or, you know, all sets of residents in that neighborhood. So we spent two weeks door knocking just to tell people that this thing is happening. And while we did that, we also gave them an invitation to our community input picnic day, which was happening like in the coming weeks. So definitely sort of like meeting people where they are and gauging that before I put any of my ideas down sort of in any way. So that looks like asking a couple of questions, right? Like, what do you wish people knew about the neighborhood? What do you think other people think about the neighborhood, right? So trying to figure out sort of what is the image we want to convey? What is the image we're combating? and how people speak about it, right? Like words tend to be the biggest sort of pocket of concepts and data that's collected through this process. So the next step after that would be the public community event, which was set up with four different stations. One was vote on a color palette and be entered to like win in a raffle, right? So incentive is also a big part of getting people to participate. We had food too. So if you did all the activities, you, you got a free lunch, which was great. And then there was a, a sort of visual journaling activity where it was like, tell us or write to us or draw for us how you feel about the community. Sort of the same questions we asked during door knocking, just in a slightly different way. And then there was a station with coloring pages for like, design a flag for your neighborhood, right? Like, what would it look like? What colors are you using? what shapes or like are you using hands are you using trees like what's the thing that you feel best represents the neighborhood so that was a a really great way to get a lot of sort of visual concepts about how residents felt about their neighborhood and the thing that we got most from that activity was like people wanted to be proud which is strange because you would assume that people who want to be proud can be proud of their neighborhood right but they want to be proud and they see what maybe needs to change or why maybe they can't get to feeling that pride, right? And so that sweet spot is what I felt my project needed to fill. So then after that, that's all just community input, right? So after that, there's designs and revisions. And so I'll design a couple different sort of directions we can go in. And then we had a a focus group vote on those. In the midst of all this, there's like board meetings and admin work that just like has to happen to make all of these pieces fall in the right spot. And then you get to get to the fun part, which is finally, maybe eventually you get a final approval and then, <laughs> then you get to start buying supplies and painting. <laughs> oh my God. How long does this process take? Typically, so for the East Baltimore Midway Project, we only had the support of NDC, the Neighborhood Design Center for three months. So 
that was actually very quick, but that's also because funding had already been secured. So typically when working with a community association, I like to set the expectation that we're at least a year out. So what did what did your final mural look like for the East Baltimore Midway? So that was a fun project because it was a wayfinding project. So there's a couple of different ways that the artwork exists in that neighborhood. So one of the designs was for the sidewalk paintings for specific green spaces in the neighborhood. Then there was a design for their neighborhood markers, which are installed on light posts around the neighborhood, right? Like, you know, sometimes like in Station North, they have their new Station North neighborhood markers. And so it just tells you where you are. That was another thing that we found out in our community input is we would use the name East Baltimore Midway and people would be like, I don't know what that is. And I'd be like, no, but it's literally the neighborhood that you live in. (laughs) And they would be like, oh, I just say I live over East. That is one of those things that gets in the way of you being proud of your neighborhood, right? If you don't identify with the name or people don't know where that is. So that that placemaking, that marking is really important for a community to be able to identify itself. Okay, great. What did it visually look like, the final mural? So they're really brightly colored. That's what you get with me. You're not going to get a black and white out of me. So really bright colored. They're really simple shapes though, because we weren't able to install all of the wayfinding pieces. So I had to leave sort of a handbook for an installation and make that design so that the neighborhood could go on and continue installing it themselves. So really simple shapes, like a lot of concentric circles and like polka dots. So a thing that's like really bright, but really graphic. Yeah. And then the logo for the neighborhood is, is the different types of row houses they have. They have like very distinctly Baltimore row houses, but they also have newer ones. So I wanted to show sort of the diversity of the homes in the neighborhood in the logo. So you see that as well. So as Jazz explained, the work she did for the East Baltimore Midway Association was a wayfinding project. I mentioned this in the beginning. She talked about it too. That's a visual representation of an environment to help people get situated in and to navigate a space. So she designed the logo that was attached to the light posts around the neighborhood so people can see the name of their neighborhood and can feel pride in that. And so people know where they are. I also wanted to mention what one of her murals looked like. She talked about sidewalk paintings for specific green spaces. And one of these is a mural that is on the walkway of Boone Street Commons, which is Midway's big green space. And it's made with bright colors. As Jazz mentioned, there are thick yellow and blue lines, two of each. And there are those circles in a couple different colors around the lines. And then there's the midway marker in bright pink in the center. So just to give you an idea of what one of her pieces looked like within the community. So Jazz has talked about her first mural in Highland Town and then her work with the East Baltimore Midway Association as a designer in residence for the Neighborhood Design Center. She's also worked with schools, which makes sense because she was a teacher. She worked for five years at the Lily Mae Carroll Jackson School, which is a charter school for girls in Baltimore in grades five through eight. And it was there that she created the Active Citizenship Through the Arts program, which is basically using the same principles that guide Jazz's work of community engagement to make art and letting the girls at the school take the lead on that. So that was a program I started while, while teaching at Lily Mae. 
And the program was built to highlight the connection that art and active citizenship can have. So Lily May is an experiential learning school, which means that they value teaching styles that are a lot more hands-on than typical curriculums. So one of the pillars of, of the school, one of their habits of mind is active citizenship and sort of how that shows up in different ways. And so I wanted to highlight how you can use art to be an active citizen in your community, in the school, and outside of that. So we developed a curriculum that's really based on how I work in public, right? Meeting the community where they are, engaging them in different ways, and figuring out how to use art to make those changes or help along those changes that they want to see, right? So in, I guess, 2019, the school moved to a new building and a new neighborhood entirely. So our first project of the program was to connect the school and the new neighborhood that it was in. The scholars decided to make these little medallions that they could hang on all the doors in the neighborhood around the school to sort of say, like, this is who we are, you know, thanks for welcoming us into your community and sort of engaging in that way. And so we met a lot of people that way. We met a lot of active residents through that project. And the way the project is built is that, like, I'm really just in the place of a facilitator. It's really important because we're connecting this way of being an active and positively impactful citizen with art is like they can only do that and see that if it's a project that they want to be working on, right? So I don't give them like, we're going to paint a mural. They they get to decide sort of what programming looks like and sort of the topics that they want to sort of conquer or draw attention to with the artwork. All right. So what have been some of your biggest challenges since starting your business and how have you responded to them? And we talked a little bit about what you're most proud of, but if there's anything else you want to add about what has given you pride in your work, I'd love to hear it. Challenges. I think the main challenge was deciding to make it a real thing, right? Like I've been teaching for so long and I teaching is, has such a special place in my heart. And I really try and carry that through the work that I do now, but it also was one of the things holding me back from deciding that I was going to actually make it into a business. But I think sort of any day job you have and any sort of stability you have built into your life already is really hard to let go of when you are considering, you know, changing paths in that way, even if it's something you're already doing, right? It's just, it's, it's hard to imagine life without that stability. So that was definitely one of the hardest things was just deciding that it's that this is going to be a real thing that I'm going to commit all of my time to. So in June, I've been doing this for a year. And I think that was really a moment for me to step back and reflect because part of me felt like this first year of, of existing solely as an independent muralist, full-time artist was a trial run. <laughs> so, so making it to a year, like, I feel like I had these expectations, like, oh, like you did it, like, great, good job. Like, it's going to get easier from here. And that's, 
definitely not the case. Um, <laughs> but also just learning, like learning when it is the right time or learning that there isn't a right time or finding, finding what that means for you was definitely a huge obstacle. What is your decision process like when you're faced with something like, should I leave teaching to be a mural artist full-time? Are you somebody who makes a lot of lists and thinks about it? Or do you just do it and see what happens? I am typically a list person for sure. But I think this was a lot more of a gut decision. Like it just needed to happen. I love teaching, but if for any teachers out there, like working in that system is really difficult. It really calls into question like why you wanted to teach right unfortunately in baltimore city it's a lot more i mean this is across the country but standardized testing teaching to the test and not being able to let go of that because at the end of the day you know your school funding depends on that so you know having to teach sort of with your hands tied slightly behind your back was one of the things that i really didn't like about teaching so being able to carry that through the murals and the community work that I do now is sort of my way of teaching the way I want to be teaching, you know? Yeah. That's a good way to say it. Is there anything you wish you knew when you started your business? You're a year in now. What have you learned along the way? Oh my God. So many things. Countless (laughs) things. I can't. I think at a certain point I really thought like, okay, like maybe maybe it was when I had like 10 murals under my belt. I was like, great. Like you've learned so many things along the way. Like eventually there's going to be a point where you have a project and everything goes as planned and it's going to be great because you know everything. And that is never going to (laughs) happen. Like there's always, always something new that I didn't know could happen that happens in every project, whether it's good or bad, right? Like just knowing that there's always more to learn. Not that I expected to know everything in 10 murals, but like, you know, there's only so many things that you can even imagine could go wrong or could go in a certain way. So that has definitely been, I guess, something I wish I knew that, you know, it's it's not going to get easier. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it doesn't mean it's not worth it. I mean like as long as the thing that drives you truly is driving you in every way then you're doing the right thing whether you know whether or not it's panning out at the moment. Great. Do you have any advice for other business owners or other artists who are looking to make a career out of their art? Is there anything you would share? For sure. Uh find your community. I cannot stress this enough. There are so many people and mentors and organizations and communities that have really helped me along the way, given me opportunities and mentored me through projects or artists who have just come out to help because they want to be involved. So really find your community. They're going to be the ones who support you the most. Great. And part of what you do, you get the community actually involved in the painting as well, right? Not just the process of design. Yes, that is true. I totally skipped over that. There's always a community painting involved. Those are really the most like joyous moments of painting a mural for me. Yeah. Do you find that people are pretty excited and confident approaching it? How do people come in? 
it runs a range of, you know, I've never held a paintbrush. I don't know how to do this. I can't believe you're letting me paint your beautiful <laughs> mural to, to like, okay, I'm coming back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's definitely a challenge, especially when it comes to like pulling people off the street, which is really my favorite thing to do. Pulling people off the street, giving them a paintbrush and just saying, just, you know, just paint inside these lines. And if you go outside of them, it's not a big deal. It's just paint. <laughs> wow. You just approach people walking by and are like, here's a paintbrush. Come help us work on this. Yeah. Come help us. Just paint this leaf in. It'll take you five minutes and then you can go about your day. <laughs> wow. That's so cool. I love that. So you're working on a mural on your house. I wanted to ask you about that. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Yes. It's been very exciting painting a mural on my house, which I think the first challenge of that was just designing something for myself. Like I didn't even design my logo. So that took me a long, like years, <laughs> really. <laughs> my husband has been very, he's been very adamant. He was like, you've painted the backyard. There's a mural basically in every room of the house. It's time to do the front. And I just was not ready. I found it really hard to design something for myself that I would feel proud walking into, that I would feel, you know, like everything I design is for somebody else's, for somebody else's space, somebody else's community. So doing it so personally, I think, was a challenge. Maybe maybe it's just something like I needed to get over. But at the end of the day, I came up with two designs and my husband and I couldn't decide. And so we asked a bunch of people friends and colleagues and stuff like that, which one they would choose. And, and it kept being 50-50. So I was just like, all right, fine. Let's put it on Instagram. Let's let people vote. And that's how we'll decide because we loved both of them. And they were so different. So this sort of tropical, huge leaf design one, which is obviously the harder one to paint. Why would the universe uh, give me anything else? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's been it's been super exciting. I I've never lived this close to my work, so I'm experiencing it sort of as a client and as the artist and contractor simultaneously, which is like sort of a lot to navigate. <laughs> One of the things that has been happening lately is that there will almost every time I walk outside there's somebody looking at it, which is really exciting. But at the same time, like I can no longer like take the trash out in my robe. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be like the focal point of the neighborhood, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I live in Upper Fells and I live right by Lady Dayway, which is a whole block of murals because Billie Holiday used to live on that block. So they're all very Billie Holiday themed murals. So, so murals isn't like murals on, on houses, I don't think is like a super new concept to the neighborhood. I think those went up in 2013, but none of them are like a whole facade like mine is. And so people have been really, really excited about it. I've talked to a bunch of nurses who work at Hopkins Hospital, which is a couple blocks away, that walk by it twice a day. And, you know, they say things like, oh, I just had the worst day, but this always makes me smile when I walk by or, or something like that. Since this isn't a typical project for me, it's not necessarily, you know, a community engaged project. It just still highlights that impact that public artwork has. So 
I really want to thank Jazz Ehrenberg for being on the show today. It was fascinating to learn about her work and what goes into creating a piece and how she involves the community. Jazz is available to create residential, commercial, or community murals, and she also does custom artwork commissions. You can contact her through her website at jazzerenberg.com. I will link her site in the show notes. She also has a coloring book focused on plants that will be releasing soon with Fells Point Cultivated Creations. That's a plant store in Fells Point. So at the end of these episodes, I like to kind of go back and talk about a few things that were really sticking out to me, just as a little bit of a wrap up. So what is really sticking out to me from this episode is how Jazz has engaged the community throughout her career and what that process has looked like. And we're really only talking about a few years here because she created her first mural in 2017. But as she mentioned, there has been an evolution in how she works with the community. When she was working on her mural in Highland Town and and even before that, when she was engaging with homeless populations along Falls Way, she was just spending her time talking to people and interacting with them and going to them, meeting them at the place where they were and getting information for her projects that way. But then as she moved into the East Baltimore Midway project, a more recent project, that's when she put together an event where everyone came to her in a sense, to this one specific spot to participate in activities and move through stations. And there was a raffle and a free lunch to encourage participation. So I think this is really interesting just from the standpoint of learning about Jazz's process alone. But it also makes me think that, you know, we're... We're all, of course, evolving like this in our work, right? Anytime you start something new, you're just figuring things out as you go, and then you refine your approach over time and you evolve. I feel like I've said this before, but a lot of us probably don't take the time to think back or reflect on where we've started, and doing that can really show you how far you've come. And then when Jazz was talking about the challenges she has faced, She mentioned that point, you know, and all of us who work independently hit this point. It was when she was teaching and thinking about leaving that stability to be an independent muralist and how she reached that decision. And she said for her, it was really a gut decision, but it has not been an easy decision. And even after a year, it's not always easy. But the key is finding the right time for you or what that means for you or what not the right time means for you, but still doing it anyway. I think she's right. This decision a lot of the time on whether to go independent with our work. I do think a lot of times it's a feeling in your gut. There are, of course, practical considerations. Sometimes, often, you have to put your ducks in a row before you make a big decision like this, a big change, moving from career stability to more independent work. But I think a lot of times you know when it's right to make these career shifts And Jazz's take on what this looked like for her is definitely something I'm still thinking about. So, okay, that brings us to the end of today's episode with Jazz Ehrenberg. Thank you again to Jazz. I have three episodes recorded and awaiting editing that are coming up. I'll just give you a sneak peek. In the coming weeks on the We Built This Life podcast, I'll have Nina Ross from Nina's Cookie Explosion, Kate Christian from Bliss Woodworks, and Emma Reisinger from Yellow House Garden Company. So thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate you spending time with this podcast, with this show, and I'll see you soon. 
thank you for listening today to We Built This Life. If you enjoyed the show or if you have constructive feedback, I would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also come say hi on Instagram. I'm at We Built This Life. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch. I would love to hear from you. Have an amazing day and I'll see you soon.